Rusty Quill presents. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club for February 2020. How are you doing? I hope you're. I hope you're all good out there. Um, I hope. I hope that Valentine's Day treated you well, or at least if that didn't happen, at least it didn't hurt too bad. <laughs> oh, Valentine's Day. This is always, this is my least favorite time of the year. Uh, deep winter or late winter, depending on what you want to call it. Um, not quite early spring for sure. For sure. Not the holidays anymore. <laughs> all of the, all of the holidays in, uh, in, like January through like literally through June, right? I can't think of any are all misery holidays. You know what I mean? Like they're either about something awful that happened, awful things happen on them or they're just or they're just miserable. I mean, off the top of my my head, I think of New Year's Day, which is the day that you you have to just spend the whole day. It, you, ever, since I turned 19, I think, uh, barring the few times where I could not drink because I was out of the country in the Marines, uh, I have started every new year off with a hangover, minus like two times. So <laughs> for, for those of you who don't drink, you know, maybe you start off the year fresh, but I literally start off every year at a, uh, at, at a, at, at possibly, at possibly one of the worst, uh, at one of the worst lows that you can be at, which is a, a post New Year's hangover. It's <laughs> so you start bad, and then we have nothing else for the rest of January, right? Uh, February, February. I do have one holiday that's for me, and that's uh, that's my my fiance's birthday, which is good. It's a little bit of a highlight, uh, and then you have Valentine's Day, which is good for me, but not for everybody else. Just like the other one, you know what I'm saying? So like. I know more people that are miserable on Valentine's Day than happy. It doesn't even seem like if you are in a relationship that Valentine's Day is that great by default. You kind of have to you have to do all the work to make Valentine's Day good. You know what I mean? It's not like uh, Christmas or Halloween where everybody's kind of pitching in and doing their part. And you know, it's like, oh man, dude, it's really nice being out here. I'm feeling like a real sense of community. It's like. It, it, it's the day that turns everyone into a sea of unhappy, like single people, just like shouldering motherfuckers to the side. Uh, I remember it, it. I don't know if things have changed in the five years since I I've been in a relationship, but uh, I I remember the bars on Valentine's Day, especially when I worked at them, as being especially gross, <laughs> gross and desperate and sad. Uh, and then there's the people that are actually couples who are like the, the few survivors just like kind of looking down from the, 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 the shaky bridge <laughs> at, at a horde of zombies spread out beneath them. Maybe it's not that bad for everybody, but in general, I, I get the feeling that most people don't enjoy Valentine's Day unless they happen to have had a good one. And that's not necessarily going to be the case when you wake up. You know what I mean? Even people that have relationships are constantly broken up with on valentine's day I, I feel like sometimes people do that just because they understand that like whoever they're breaking up with they're like fuck well there's no chance we're getting back together but i guess the least i can do is give him like a good story to like maybe ease the transition into his next relationship so that lady knows he's not going to be pawning over or fawning over me uh and and then you know when that guy gets says you know you know she broke up with me on Valentine's Day, it was miserable and I'm dying inside. Some lady will be like, oh, that's, they're there. Uh, <laughs> what, if do you, what do you have after that? Do you have like Martin Luther King Day, which always just, you know, I mean, that's good, but I always just think of Martin Luther King getting assassinated. I cannot think of famous historical figures apart from their deaths because I'm me. Uh, same with like JFK. You know, like, I just think of them being, like, murdered. <laughs> um, and then, what do you have? March is another, yeah, Ides of March is the only one I can think of in March. And that's, oh, there's St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day is good. Sorry, I got yelled at from the other room. St. Patrick's Day is a fucking, a bright spot in the heart of all that. Um, 
where you just get to see, you know, if, if the Irish were just like a little shittier, like off as a as a culture, like that would be the most offensive holiday ever. It's cool because the Irish don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? But like if people went and Cinco Cinco de Mayo is good too. It, it people do stuff on uh on on St. Patrick's Day that they also try to do on Cinco de Mayo, like culture wise, and the, the people that do it on Cinco de Mayo get lit up on Twitter, dude. As it on fire, showing up at the bar at like a Mexican restaurant wearing a fucking sombrero and a Pancho Villa mustache, like, no. No, <laughs> it's not good. It's a bad look, but that's still, still, that's just a drinking holiday. You know what I mean? It's not a real holiday holiday. You can't call that off. Uh, you can't call Cinco de Mayo off. Usually you don't want to call those days off anyway. You want to call the day after that day off. Uh, and then what, what do we got continuing on? We got April, um, uh, at best, you know, that's Jesus gets murdered day. <laughs> Easter. Um and if you're a pagan, the lucky you then you get to just s- s- celebrate the spring solstice. Uh is that the solstice or is that the equinox? I think that's the spring equinox. I'm I'm sorry. I I feel like I should know that uh because you know all those pagan and pseudo pagan ritual days and stuff are so important in the horror world, but I I can't ever I can't ever keep that shit straight because it means literally nothing to me. Um but if it if it's if it's something that you're going to celebrate, I think I would much rather celebrate those feast days, those pagan feast days, than the uh, than, than the Catholic redos. <laughs> Hang a dude on a cross, and then here's some Easter eggs. Uh, and then continuing through April, you have uh, the good old 420, uh, which is pot smoking holiday, um, and also uh, Hitler's birthday, which I found out. Because I watched Norm Macdonald talk for five minutes, and then that made me sad. So now every time someone says 420, I'm also like, uh. <laughs> I'm surprised somebody hasn't gotten on online and uh, and trying to ruin that yet. I, I am I am surprised. Normal people people grasp at straws at anything just so they can get them fucking them sweet sweet reclicks, you know, sharing like uh, uh like one of those hollow ass woke opinions and shit. Um, I, I am surprised that somebody trying to like, you you know, you, you know the type if you're out there on the internet, uh, it's usually like some mid, mid late twenties, early thirties person, uh, could be a dude, could be a chick. Um, and they're going to be like, you know, my great grandparents knew a guy in the Holocaust after he came home and having this pot smoking day on the day of the birth of earth's most heinous villain is, is, is disrespectful. How dare you smoke as he, uh, has, has murdered Jewish people by, by fire and smoke as well. Something like that. You know, you know what? Someone just take that and run with it. Just go ahead. Someone just shut down 420 and ruin it for us. For all of us, I don't even do it anymore. Uh, even when I, even when I, I more habitually smoked weed, I did not, I did not celebrate. It <laughs> always sounds, it always sounds weird to me. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't understand the uh, the appeal of celebrating 420, and I don't, I don't think anyone really, really does, except for people that are like uh, that are known in like. In like in like the public space, and you know what I mean. And I feel like even they feel like they're obligated, but no one's just like, man, it's four twenty, it's time to get high. Unless you're like a teenager, or just like kind of out of touch fifty year old that's trying to look cool to his kids. That that's that's <laughs> that that seems like the demographic for for four twenty. And then I think we finally get to June, and you get like Memorial Day, which is like finally a fucking a day off. You know what I mean? Uh, is that Memorial Day? Yeah. No, that's the work day. I can't remember. I feel like I should remember Memorial Day because it is in the the it's in the thing. Because Memorial Day was Armistice Day, right? Which means it should be in like August. So I'm thinking of Labor Day. No, because you can't wear white after Labor Day. I don't know. 
I can't remember these days. Even when I when I worked in like, because I, I don't I don't get off. I haven't gotten off for holidays in basically my entire life. <laughs> Not since high school, man. I graduated high school when I was seventeen, and um. I went right to the Marine Corps, and in the Marines, you do not get those federal holidays off unless you do. And usually, when you're in the infantry, like I was, you don't. Like you'll you'll just get paid for it, like a double pay or some shit like that. Sometimes you get like the Memorial Day, Labor Day, 48s, which is like a four day weekend. But because I was there in the middle of the Iraq War, and we were doing constant deployments, I got deployed three times in four years. Uh, so like, we just never had any fucking downtime. So you were always on troop training and shit. And they're like, yeah, this is canceled. That's canceled. This is canceled. That's canceled. But then you would come home and you'd get like a month off. So there's that too. By the way, a month off is not that great when you don't have any money and no time to plan for your vacation. You usually just go sit at home and, uh, and you sit in your parents' living room and you watch TV until way too late in the morning. And you just think about how much fun your friends are probably having because they're more socially adept at 21 than you are uh, and then i was i was in i was in school and i i did not take off really when i was in school either because i was broke and i had nothing to fall back on other than the gi bill and myself so i had to just i worked every holiday i worked in bars too and when you work in bars you have to work holidays like uh, all, restaurant people i'm there with you Restaurant people do not get to get off on holidays. It's actually usually when you have to work, except for like maybe Christmas and maybe Thanksgiving. But, you know, even those are like 50-50. And then after that, I worked in the news industry. In the news industry, you don't ever get holidays off because you have to cover the news, especially like on holidays. Like, you, you, I was a crime and courts reporter. You have to work on Halloween and you have to work on fucking... Christmas, because that's when everyone gets murdered and kills themselves and drives off the road and a big fiery, drunken, alcoholic crash, and you got to go there and just hold that glass on them bodies. I'm sorry, though. But, uh, yeah, we're in the doldrums, the doldrums of the holidays, and I I hate it. <laughs> that aside, though, welcome to the West Side Fairy Tales Whore and Lit Club. If you're new here, by the way, this is a non-canon, uh, just a, it's a quick, simple long confusing discussion of the month's picks that i made um during the regular season episode which in the case of this month is the 2007 movie wreck that's r-e-c and um the house on mango street by sandra cisneros circa from uh, 1983 and I'll, i'll be getting to those in a minute um neither of those two things made a a gigantic like a crushing discussion level impact on me they're pretty good both of them are but um i'm going to talk about some other stuff first because it's it's much more like thickly in my mind right now and what i want to talk about is bates motel because i have been burning through this this series uh, at, at, a, at a lightning fast rate with my my fiance, um, I think Bates was on AMC or maybe FX, one of the two uh, middling, middle level. I consider them uh, what do you call f- Jesus Christ? Cable, cable networks, cable TV networks. So you know, it's like a adult cable TV, but it's still cable TV. So it's not like premium cable TV like HBO, where you can see some like boobs and some butt and maybe like a dick. Uh, and, and, and extraordinary gore. Um, so it's, it has to kind of straddle that. And so those, those sort of series, I'm always like, they can be good and they can be really, really bad. Like for all of your, uh, you know, the one where he makes myth breaking bad for every breaking bad you have, you do have something like 12 unwatchable seasons of fucking walking dead. Um, it don't, don't at me. I, I that show is that I, I hate that show because it disappointed me so much. I loved the first and second season of it. The third of the third season bored me, and then it just it completely fell off from there. Respect to Negan. Respect to all the other things. I actually read further into the comics, which also sort of just stopped interesting me than I uh, than I saw of the of the show. But I remember I went back to watch it one time. And people were taking cover from assault rifle fire behind a fucking filing cabinet that was empty. It didn't even have the drawers in it. And I was like, I'm good. 
clearly no one on this show gives a fuck. I don't know why I'm expected to too. So they've just been they've just been churning that dreck out for forever. But um, you have other types of series in that category. Uh, Nip Tuck is really, really good. If you've ever seen Nip Tuck, uh, Monk is kind of older uh, in that in that realm. But it was like, hey, we're gonna make a, like a mature, like thinky type story, uh, or, or like you know, quirky, interesting characters and stuff. Uh, stuff that really draws you in. But it is still like a, a, a line. You know, you can't do very experimental type things. You can never do true detective in any real sense on on amc fuck the terrors from amc that's my favorite single season of television ever i mean and like it, it's mind-boggling that the terror and and the walking dead might have been on like one after right after each other <laughs> like it, that, that's that's crazy but these mid-level uh uh cable tv adult cable tv uh shows can get really, really good, and they can get really, really bad, and they can kind of like flow in and out of it, so you never really know what to expect. And I remember uh, hearing that they were going to adapt the Bates Motel, and I was like, Bates, but like fucking Norman Bates, like Psycho, uh, back in you know what it was two thousand and I, I can't remember. I think it's two thousand eleven, maybe that 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 series aired early early twenty tens, and I was I was hearing about it. And just like this is never gonna be it's impossible. Like that that's such a crazy concept to adapt. I mean, you know, because I I'd seen the movie, the movie's great. Uh if you've never seen Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, please, this is a horror and lit club. Please go see that movie. It, it's fucking great. Uh it, it holds up, weirdly enough. Don't expect a slasher film, please. If you're a if you're one of the slasher types of horror fans where you got to watch 16 teenagers die in like a cartoonishly over the top ways you're not going to get as much out of psycho as you think it's a a classic of modern horror but it's much more of an inspiration to like things like silence of the lambs and uh you know the witch and a little bit more not not like smarter but less easy to get into it's an incredibly simple story um it, it, i don't even really feel like i can i can I'm, I'm not even i'm not even going to entertain the possibility that i'm going to be spoiling somebody on a movie that is literally older than i think my dad is so um norman bates is the manager of a hotel right and he's an, a grown man he's an adult he's probably in his early to mid 30s if i had to guess and uh the the story the conceit, the original conceit of the story is that it's about a woman who robs her boss and then runs off with a bunch of money. Um, she doesn't really rob her boss. She robs one of her boss's clients, which is kind of in turn robbing her boss, but not not necessarily as bad as you think. Uh, she does it kind of on the spur of the moment and runs and uh, ends up staying at the Bates Motel. And while she stays at the Bates Motel, she talks to this very charming, uh, well-spoken, shy young man named Norman, and he uh, seems a little odd, but odd in a, like a nice way. And of course, he ends up murdering her, um, and <laughs> and burying her uh, in the swamp behind the house. But he doesn't necessarily murder her. Uh, you think it's his mother, um, and that's the great twist of Psycho: is that Norman Bates. Uh, is blaming all of his kills on his mother, but he's actually got a split personality. And when his mother, quote unquote, who's actually a dead woman, takes over, uh, he puts on a wig and a dress and, and and goes and stabs people to death. And that's that's psycho. That's that's basically the 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 the, the overarching premise of the story. And there's actually a bunch of sequels which I'm I'm planning on watching very soon with my fiance because I want to see more of it. I've I've heard from people that have reviewed them online that the uh the sequels to the original psycho are actually very good they they almost all or all have the uh same guy in them i think the uh i can't remember the name of the actor that plays norman but he's in all of them and uh apparently they're they're if if not like great they're much better than expected but you you should absolutely go see psycho If if you hate it you hate it but i will say this it's much more entertaining than the exorcist if you're that kind of person that's nervous about going back to old horror classics because you think they're going to be boring. Uh, 
Anyone that goes back and watches uh, Rosemary's Baby and tells me it's boring, you're fucking fired. <laughs> uninstall this podcast. Um, it's a complete aside. But Bates Motel, I never thought it was going to work. I, I'd seen that movie. I liked it. It was a very good movie. Uh, very interesting. Really, really well shot. It's uh, one of those things. I mean, it's Hitchcock. If you don't know much about Hitchcock, he's like one of the original like masters of 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 shadow work and, and and camera angles and stuff it's really incredible not everything dates well his classic the birds is like one of the original like creature films not, it's not like a creature film but like an animals attack film i think there's an actual name for that subgenre of horror but it it doesn't immediately strike me but other titles in it are literally anything with an animals name in it so like uh tarantulas is one uh spiders bees uh have you ever seen bees man that's a fucking that's a that is a a movie uh I, i don't know where i saw it but i do know i saw it on basic television back when i was like eight years old and even then, it could not scare me because the bees looked really, really calm because <laughs> they took actual shots of bees. But it's basically like Africanized killer bees. You know, people have been talking about killer bees going to murder everybody for like 40 fucking years now. Apparently, it's actually been for like 60. And they were making old black and white movies about it. But, you know, they, they still haven't gotten us. They still haven't gotten us. Uh, you know, it, I'm starting to be under the suspicions that maybe the news media isn't being all that honest about the things that they're nervous about it's crazy to me but it's a possibility (laughs) but bates motel man uh so bates motel the story which i made it up to four seasons of literally just finished the fourth season of this uh before i before i uh the night before i started recording this episode and it's it's really just great it's not perfect it's not like uh, you know, you have to see it. It's uh, it, it changes everything about the way that you'll view television. But it's so competent and so endearing that like it has it has literally swept me off my feet on accident like four seasons in a row. The uh, main person is a kid named Eddie Hightower. Uh, I think his name or Freddie Hightower something some Eddie. Uh, it's an it high something whatever uh and he's this uh scrawny whippy waifish tallish sort of kid man like i don't know how to describe it any any scene uh start to finish you'll either get the feeling that he's actually 24 or that you're maybe looking at a 14 year old and it 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 really it's really quite an intentional uh thing and he talks perfectly like i feel like he just watched psycho over and over and over again for like half a year and obviously the writers have to take an extraordinary amount of credit for just writing the hell out of it but he talks like this and mother i don't i don't understand what you're even going on about (laughs) and then his mother uh norma bates uh, is alive very much alive for most of the season or series um and she is played by I cannot remember the woman's name, but she is the uh, she plays Elaine Warren in the Conjuring uh, movie universe. I don't even know how to say that the uh, the woman the woman psychic from the Conjuring, her and that the other guy that's the guy that's in every single one of those movies, uh, the Warrens. Um, she plays Norma Bates, and she might be the fucking worst woman. I have ever seen on film and and it's perfect start to finish. I I literally cannot get enough of her until I do get enough of her and I'm like I got to look at my phone for a second until this scene's over. She is a character study in manipulative shitty women. Like oh my god, she's got it all down. Like she's she is quite literally the worst mother in the world because not just because like she's like a generic worst mother you know where it's like oh she beats her kids and and she she you know cuts them and stabs them no not that she just does such pure 
laser-focused psychological damage that you can literally watch scenes where Norman is never going to be the same again. You can, like, watch her pull his fucking soul apart thread by thread every every other episode. It's the point where suddenly she'll say something to him, and he'll be, like, just stunned. What? 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 <laughs> And he always, she'll try to walk away, and then she'll people try to walk away, and she always bursts into tears. Oh no! Oh no! Said, please don't be mad at me! Please don't be mad at me! I couldn't take it! I can't take it! And then they, when when that one doesn't work, they'll be like, Norma, I, I can't deal with you crying. And she's like, Well, fine then. <laughs> like just, dude, she's just popping all over. And you know, she's a damaged person too. You you gotta give her props. It's not like she arrived at this state of being trying to be a piece of shit, but she fucking got there, and it's just so good to watch. Those two people, Norma and Norman, form the heart of the show, uh, quite literally and figuratively, and then around them is actually assembled an extraordinarily competent uh, cast of characters. There's uh, the local sheriff, Tom Romero is his name, uh, Norman's brother Dylan, who's a recurring character through every season that I've seen. Uh, one of his friends from school, Emma, who's a recurring character, and then a, and then an assortment of characters who I won't name um, because a lot of them die. <laughs> the body count's not uh, not hilariously high. I would say the the body count per season is on par with something. Now, not even like Breaking Bad. Uh, it's it's it, it's fairly. St- fairly small you know what i'm saying but there is a body count um i think i think the the weaknesses of the show are that it telegraphs it telegraphs a lot um but i think that just is one of those things that comes with having one of those types of you know middling level cable audiences where you're like hey we've got this great show and we're gonna put in a lot of cool conceptual shit but there are gonna be some just like you know some some tired-eyed people that are trying to get some shut off your brain TV in, and they're not going to want to think about this stuff. So let's just, let's nip that out and then, and then continue on in a different direction, which I, which I really appreciate. I don't mind it at all because it makes me feel smart. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, I too write the horrors, the horrors, <laughs> the horrors. I can't say that word, right? If, if, if anyone, if anyone doesn't know that I cannot pronounce the word horror, right? Horror. That's how you're supposed to say it, but I say whore, like a prostitute, but that doesn't sound like prostitute whore in my mind. I guess it's from where I'm from, but my uh, my fiance points it out to me all the time. But anyway, that, that that's the Bates Motel, and I'm four seasons into it right now, and we're going to start the fifth season tonight after I, after I finish recording this and uh, eat dinner. And I, I really, I'm so excited. I haven't been this really this into a, a long-form TV show in a while, um, I think since... I think really since uh, Game of Thrones, it's not like Game of Thrones early season good, but I feel like it's not going to let me, Game of Thrones late seasons just let me the fuck down and kick me in the nuts over my expectations of where the show can go. Uh, if, if it's if its job of telegraphing itself is any, I, like, I, we're just to the point in the show where it's very much transitioning into the psycho movies and i'm just i'm fucking for it it's a fucking roller coaster it's good the whole time and you should absolutely check it out if you get it if you get a chance it's uh, on netflix that's how we're watching it so hop on the netflix put bates motel in your list and try to get to it before they fucking snatch it out from underneath you i think that's the other reason we're watching it so fast we watched some other uh some other shows a little too casually and fucking Netflix ripped them out from underneath me and I'm not happy about it, but you know, what can you do? So on to my discussion of the HLC titles for this month. Uh, the, the first, I'm going to start with Mango Street. The House on Mango Street um, is obviously by Sandra Cisneros. She published it in 1983 since then it's gone on to sell more more than six million copies uh it's a new york times bestseller it won a plethora of awards um most of the basic basic writing awards that you can imagine it either placed nominated uh it's it's very much a, a celebrated novel uh and and you 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 should 
let it exist on your radar. You don't have to rush out and read it. Although if you do want to, you're going to be able to finish it in a, like a, a, the laziest of lazy afternoons. I think the entire novel took me two and a half hours to read, and I read it during loading times while playing video games. Uh, it's a it's a video game with an extraordinarily long like five to ten minute loading time, but still, um, and it's good. Uh, I I really liked it. I, I was I was present in the novel. No, I can read while doing other stuff. I actually I can't uh, not read once I start reading stuff. So it's actually why I'm 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 stalling on starting a a Paul Joseph Tremblay novel. Uh, my first head full of ghosts. But the house on Manga Street concerns the uh, the life and times uh, the young life and times of a girl named Esperanza um, as she sort of explores existence in the microcosm of of Chicago in the 60s-ish, 60s-70s kind of era, which I'm, I'm, I'm not familiar with city-wise. I'm not familiar with uh, era-wise at all. She would have been, she would have been very much in almost to an adult by the time my dad was born. My dad was born in 1964, so she's kind of, you know, maybe just a few years older than him. Actually, I do know that. She was born in Chicago uh, in, in 1954, so she's literally 10 years older than my dad. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a world that I, I have no familiarity with. I don't know anything about, um, and this is what they call, they call it Chicano. That's not um, Chicano, Chicana. Uh, which is a uh, formerly a, a, a flat pejorative term, but it was reclaimed, but you don't really use it anymore. And that was a, uh, a term specifically for Mexican-Americans, uh, not necessarily other, um, other nationalities that were moving to America from other Spanish-speaking countries, although they would get lumped in with them because of just you know, standard uh, run-a-day arrogance. Uh, ignorance, sorry, and and racism, but um, it, it was reclaimed uh, only for sort of this period, which is something I I, I was learning about when I was uh, when I was researching this, um, and it wasn't like a like a flat pejorative. It was just more like you know, if you say it with a bad voice, then it's then it's an insult. Otherwise, it's not. But it's not like an absolute racial slur it's kind of you know as those people progressed uh being in you know and they, they'd have chicano chicano chicana chicano communities um in places like chicago and you know wherever the hell else and the the thing was they were mexican americans that had kind of turned their back sort of on mexican culture or not necessarily turned their back but were just really trying hard to assimilate into American culture while kind of leaving stuff like that behind. So a lot of, you know, making sure that your kids know English, not really focusing that hard on making sure that they know uh, Spanish, to speak Spanish and stuff. And um, that kind of came and went in a wave. Uh, and then the the more common Hispanic took over, you know, as a description, which I, I found out was uh, not necessarily nice, uh, although that was like the term I was taught growing up is that, you know, uh, any, any, any Spanish, South American, Spanish speaking, what we would call Latino, Latina communities nowadays, uh, the, the, the proper way to retur- refer to people of that um, ethnicity was Hispanic to be nice. And apparently that's not really a, a quite necessarily a thing anymore, but I don't think it's actually insulting. I've never heard anybody get torn up over it, but that sort of replaced uh, the Chicano Chicana thing in the 80s, 90s as uh, Mexican self-identification and honestly, the, the greater understanding of South American cultures as being their own diverse things. You know, if you're from Ecuador or Brazil or Paraguay, I mean, obviously from Brazil, you're not even speaking Spanish, but it's not like something somebody might notice. But you want to say like, hey, I'm a Brazilian American. Hey, I'm a I'm a Haitian American. That's Patients don't no, whatever. Look, I'm 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 talking too fast to actually keep up, but uh, I'm Dominican American, things like that. Uh, and you know, you're 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 from the islands down there, and coming up, you want to keep your own culture and not get lumped in together with everybody else. So you can kind of say, you know, Latino, Latin, and that that 
that sort of gets it into the right area without it being, you know, people thinking that you're you're from Mexico because you're not from fucking Mexico. It's like going overseas and everyone's like, "Hey, are you Canadian? Are you Canadian? You're you're actually playing." Like, "No, I'm an American. I just I just know my manners. Some of us do." <laughs> Uh, you know, and this is all a rough description, but uh, at, at the time it was released in 1983, it was considered um, kind of a hallmark and like a uh, a like like a, a a seminal work of Chicana literature. Like you know, a, a Mexican American woman had written extensively about her 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 experiences growing up. Well, she's actually just flat American American, uh, but she grew up in a Mexican American family. You know, second generation immigrant, so trapped really in that world between uh you know coming from someplace but also not really having anywhere to go back to but not really feeling that welcome in the place where you are which is a real real odd catch-22 of an existence you know what i mean because like her parents could conceivably go back to mexico you know what i mean it would be extremely difficult like any any just uh, any move is hard any move back to somewhere that you don't want to be is even more difficult and then Add to that the fact that there's national borders and stuff in the way, and you're going to have to reestablish yourself there. It's a, it's a nightmare. But she doesn't even have that option, you know what I mean? Because she's an American. And um, she sort of discovered that about herself while she was attending an MFA workshop, I think that's what it's called, in uh, Iowa after she got her degree. And she was like listening to all these other young writers talk about themselves, and they're predominantly white. I mean, if they're at an MFA program, I'm just going to go ahead and say that they're upper middle class because uh, those things are, that's a lot of money to, to be spending on nothing most of the time. And uh, she was like, I don't know these people. Like, these are supposed to be my peers and maybe these guys, these people are going to be published and stuff. But I don't feel like if, if this is what it's required to be published, I don't feel like I can do this because I'm, I'm, I'm a woman, which is already making it hard. I'm, I'm, I'm Latina. You know, my, my parents aren't rich. I'm not a wealthy person. And my, my experiences are not these people's experiences, but they all talk to each other extremely casually about them as though that's just the nature of things. And so from there on, that sort of mentality is kind of what inspired her to really, like, maybe not necessarily write The House on Mango Street, as it's been explained. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much boiling down a lot of important things to kind of get this going. but um to collect stories that she'd already been writing and, and kind of focus them in on that feeling. And, uh, and she, she succeeds very well for such a small story. I mean, it could literally just be a, a multi-part piece and something like the New Yorker. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's really, really, it's really poignant and powerful. It kind of cuts away all the extra stuff. You know what I mean? If you were worried about, and it's, I'll talk about myself in relationship to this soon enough, which is going to be hard on its own. But it, it is, it's very much, if you cut away all of the uh, less important traipsings of fiction, which they're kind of love it or hate it things, there's not really like uh, a plot at all in it. It, it is, it's a series of vignettes. It's what I would call actually like pseudo fiction, although it's technically fiction. Um, it's probably a lot of stuff that's really, really true or stuff that you almost remember that you want to put down or like ideas that you had. And they all have this very, not dreamy feel, but almost daydreamy feel where you're like, oh yeah, like you almost kind of remember it alongside her, which I really, really like because it, it does a good job of not getting you bogged down in unnecessary details and kind of really getting you to the heart of what I consider to be arguments. It's got a real Greek theater feel in that way. If you don't know too much about Aristophanes and the clouds and the bees and the birds and all that horse shit, don't, don't worry too much, but just kind of get that, uh, they are, if not necessarily morality plays, uh, philosophy plays. And that's kind of how this plays out. Sorry to say, um, they you 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 read a story and you get the idea of the point she's trying to make. You know what I mean? It's not it's not what maybe some people at the time would like from a writer like her either. Uh, and you know, I see this all the time, and it drives me fucking crazy. 
whether or not it's my place to be driven crazy by it. It just makes for bad fucking writing. Where these uh, these upper middle class or just fucking outright rich people that run publishing and shit and uh, Hollywood productions and stuff, when they get they latch onto a story from a woman like Cisneros, they don't want it to be just a story. It has to be this like weird, overly convoluted and valicious poverty porn shit that is just like you know. She's got to hit like six notes. There's got to be that moment where people just sit, just like nodding sadly at the uh, at the at the bleakness of life. You know what I mean? It it it, it almost it it's in my mind. It's white saviorism without the presence of the white savior. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's literally sometimes I I read these things or I or I watch them and I'm like, this is. I think someone sucking down a fucking latte on the Upper East Side of Manhattan was reading this manuscript and going like, I just love it because I think about what I would do if I could just talk to her. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, And you don't ever, you don't ever get that from this Cisneros thing. Like it, it talks extensively, you know, about situations of, of uh, where, where the, the main character Esperanza does not have her agency or she doesn't have uh, power in that situation, but she never seems like she's without agency or without power at, 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 in its entirety because she's always thinking about stuff. She's always seeing it. She's always witnessing it and understanding it. And you can really feel from the way that the stories, um, vignettes really from how, how sharp they are and how laser focused they are on what they mean that the woman Sandra Cisneros became, uh, after being, you know, living her, her young life and, and with the ghost of this girl, Esperanza and her childhood, she learned from these things and anyone can, you know what I mean? One of my favorite ones is she's there's, there's this quiet kid who's like, I think he's kind of like a bully or if not a bully, just like, you know, not a winner, not a winner type kid. And he's looking at the sky uh, they all are, and they're talking about clouds. And she's like, you know, that's a cumulonimbus cloud, and that's a nimbus cloud, and those are cirrus clouds, and whatever. And he's like, that one's God. <laughs> and she's like, what? And, he, and they're like, what do you mean? He's like, that one's God. Like, that's just, like, that's it. And that's kind of like a cool, profound moment, you know? Like, it. you shouldn't even, I don't really want to, like, break it down for you why it's good, but it is just ride with me on this uh but it's a it's a it's a very very good and honest moment and i love it and uh the whole book is is like that another one i like is uh just a short part of one series where a a girl is talking about uh, a woman who's got her hips you know and there's they're young girls talking about each other and uh talking about woman's bodies you know post puberty where they 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 become you know wider hipped and busty and all that and she says you see the way that like she walks and you know a way a woman's hips swings when they walk so that they can put the baby to sleep and she goes that doesn't seem right and then the more i thought about it the more it did and i was like that's just a great that's a great scene you know maybe there's a little bit something more more poignant to it but i i just even love it as just the way that you kind of started figuring stuff out when you were a kid where you were like, you know, if it seems possible, why, why not let it be true? Uh, and I don't know. I, I don't know what, really what to add on top of that. There, there's not too much to talk about with House of Mango Street unless you're really kind of having an almost argumentative conversation with somebody uh, about it. Not argumentative, but uh, interrogative and not quite debate, but you know, a real, a real conversation conversation. So on that note, if you guys would like to talk to me more about that story, please, 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 please go to the West side fairy tales, horror and lit club on Facebook, check it out. And, uh, you can, you can talk to everyone else there. I'm, I'm going to be starting up a, uh, thread for these recommendations, probably the Monday after this episode comes out. So everyone has a little bit of time to listen to this, hopefully read the stuff and then jump right in. And that's all going to be spoiler heavy. So, you know, if you go there, 
have read the material if you don't want to be spoiled. There's not really spoilers in this book. There's, there are no there are no sudden twists or turns. Everything's kind of resolved within a page or two, so you shouldn't be you shouldn't be too left out. But then again, uh, to to repeat myself, yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely, go and check this out. Borrow it from a library. Uh, I, I I read it on on my uh, Libby app, and it was it was great. Short, clipped, concise, and uh, and very interesting, very thought provoking. The next recommendation we have is our random horror recommendation for February of 2020, the movie Wreck from 2007 by Jaume Balguero and Paco Plaza, um, who are, are are a couple Spanish gentlemen from actually from Spain. Uh, Wreck, by the way, is R E C. As in record, uh, not not wreck. Uh, I feel like I've said that like 18 times, but you know. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. People are listening to me, so sometimes, like, I, I do see a lot that when I say stuff, people uh, sometimes completely misinterpret what I say because of the homonymical aspect of the word. So, you know, they're like, I thought that's what you said. Like, no, 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 my bad. I said I just said something else. And then this is one of the cases where I want to uh, I want to clarify, because I'm pretty sure there is a movie called Wreck. No, Crash. Crash came out in, like, 2007. Or did it? Was that crash? I can't remember. It doesn't really matter. Anyway, um, so this uh, this movie concerns the investigation of a quarantined building, uh, or a soon-to-be quarantined building, by a, a young woman reporter, her camera crew, a couple firefighters, a few police, and some of the people that live in the building. And um, it's it's probably my favorite shaky cam movie of all time. It's definitely one of my, my top horror films of all time. Definitely not top 10, maybe top 50. Um, but it is, it is extremely, extremely good. Um, it was, let's see. I don't have any other, anything else. Uh, the main inspiration from, uh, according to, uh, Balguero and, and, and Plaza, for it was they wanted to make a horror movie that was a good horror movie uh and have it have a tv feel to it you know what i mean more like a uh like a like a reality tv which and obviously you know anybody that's been around for a minute the the big reality tv boom was mid 2000s uh and it was kind of hitting its stride mid late 2000s where it started to become you know uh uh it started to expand past the boundaries of itself and you started seeing shows like the office and, you know, ultimately parks and rec and stuff, you know, where you have, you have handheld cameras and stuff. So people were starting to have internalized the, uh, the kind of ebb and flow of that as a, as a, a filmmaking technique into themselves so that it wasn't too jarring. I think when, a like Blair, Witch is obviously the, the, undisputed 
garbage queen <laughs> of this genre. I fucking hate Blair Witch. I, I've I watched it when I was a kid and I was like, this is some boring horse shit. And then I watched it when I was an adult and I was like, this is some boring horse shit. Uh, when that movie came out, that shit scared people to fucking death. Uh, I don't know why. It's not scary. It's not even tense to me. Uh, it's just really shouty and, 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 and boring. Um, but I think a lot of why it was successful has to do with the fact that people hadn't really seen a movie with camera angles like that. Or not camera angles, but camera work like that almost ever. Um, I mean, I was I was extremely young when that came out. I, I remember that it was mid-90s. I can't remember the exact year because I was probably like 8 or 10. So that would have been somewhere between like 95 and 97. But uh, it, was, it was a phenom when it came out. And then no one else replicated it at all. People made movies making fun of it. People tried to like kind of copy it. Obviously, today you have tons of found footage. They that that's they've created a genre. It's the found footage genre. Uh I consider wreck not necessarily to be found footage. Uh because I don't even think the footage is found. I think it maybe it is, but um Found footage to me is uh, the people that have found the footage and the finding of the footage uh, is a plot element as opposed to you would have to assume someone found it because you're watching it all. Maybe you're the one that found it. But, you know, in the case of like Wreck, even in the case of something like, um, oh, what was that movie? It was J.J. Abrams' like first movie fucking giant monster new york i can't remember but that was a found footage movie of uh some people hated it i liked it but i watched it when i was in the marine corps so it doesn't actually count everything that i watched everything that i watched when i was in the marines man getting any sort of any sort of uh entertainment media when you're in the situation like the marine corps it's like getting water in the desert quite literally you're you're so fucking thirsty you do not care if you're drinking from a fucking salty ass goat trough or just you know like literally having water poured into your mouth by aphrodite herself there is no difference you're just fucking thirsty so there's all kinds of movies i watched back in that day uh (laughs) this one included which uh which didn't did not age well or I've I've seen again since and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm embarrassed for how much I like that. It's very much not the case with Wreck, which I did rewatch and uh is still good. I've also seen the American remake and I can't remember anything about it. Uh even though it's the exact same movie. It's almost a it's an almost shot for shot remake. Uh, if it's not a shot-for-shot shot remake, it is definitely a beat-for-beat beat re- remake, which I'm, what I mean by that is shot-for-shot yeah, shot means it's literally the same movie with different characters, you know, uh, and better film equipment. The American remake of Psycho, per our conversation earlier, or not the American, but the uh, 2001, I think, remake of Psycho with Vince Vaughn as, uh, as, uh, as Norman Bates. Terrible almost embarrassingly bad. <laughs> uh, Vince Vaughn just looks like a fucking murderer. The the Norman, the guy that plays Norman Bates in the original one does not seem like he could kill anyone even to the end of the movie. Like literally up until the actual last shot of the movie, even when he's trying to murder people, uh, he does not seem like he can kill anybody. Um, as, uh, as I've said a lot of times during the uh, filming or during our watching of the Bates Motel, Norman Bates's uh, weakness as a killer is any grown man who sees him coming. <laughs> Usually all you have to do to shut Norman Bates down is be just an adult man and fucking hit him with a hard right right across the face. He goes down. He goes down every time. He takes a hit like a fucking, like a, like a fucking broomstick. Uh, but I digress. 
uh, the remake of Wreck is beat for beat, which means they kind of hit all the same points. There's a few shots that are repeated. There are certain parts that are repeated, which I remember that. I remember that distinctly. But the feel of it is completely fucking wrong. And uh, and that's where that's really where Wreck shines, is the feel is good. It really capitalized on the shaky cam, first-person view uh, aesthetic, where you feel trapped in it. You know what I mean? The the remake, the quarantine. It's called quarantine. The uh, main characters, whoever the fuck that lady is that plays Deborah Morgan on Dexter, uh, she is the same as the main character. They do a lot of the same stuff, but uh, she overreacts a little bit too, too much, and the the lighting is too good. When you're in, in, in wreck, you know, even when they're putting up the quarantine around the building and stuff, and all the plastic is going up, and, and the, the, the lights aren't very good, and uh, there's the, basically the monsters or zombies uh, of the other tenants in the building... There's a lot of stuff that's held in shadow or or hidden from view, not just as a directorial choice, which it might be, but as uh, an incident of the lighting and of the situation, you know what I mean? With quarantine, they tried to be, they, they didn't even really try to be, they just acted too conveniently. When they needed something seen, they lit it. When they needed something understood, they shot it. As opposed to with Wreck, which, you know, there there's a there's a scene where a guy has a gun and he pulls the gun out and it's kind of like you can't really see it, but you can. You know what I mean? Uh he's a shadow, he's in a dark room. The only way you can see him is because he's in silhouette against a window behind him and he's barely visible. And you know that's kind of like the first escalation, or one of the one of the first major escalations of violence in the movie. Uh, I might be I might be a little bit out of turn, but you know that's when when things are really starting to go off the rail. In the 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 quarantine remake, it's just like there. He's just there with his gun out. I'm like eh eh eh. And you know that was that was pointed out to me when I saw resaw the movies again later. So that's not my that's not my immediate and direct observation, but like. It's a really good way that I've seen somebody else describe how that goes out, that that it goes. Um, and that's Adam from YMS, uh, yourmoviesucks.com on, on YouTube, which is a, a take-it-or-leave-it movie review channel. But uh, his, his review of Quarantine is way better than anything I can do. You should check it out. And um, But yeah, that, that kind of continues throughout the entire, entire thing. But to, more to speak about Rex qualities... Is that it is it is dark and it is dingy and it is increasingly gross as you get into it. And it, it it really does give you the feeling that not only are people being infected, but the building itself is being infected, and that the building is potentially contagious on its own. You know what I mean? Like uh, they, they start on the bottom floor. And basically, the entire plot is them getting to the uh, penthouse suite on the very top. So maybe not necessarily a suite, but it is the topmost floor of the building. Very old school premise. Get to the top of the tower. It's a, a multi-story apartment building. And, um, you know, on the bottom, when they first get in there, it is just an apartment building. It's empty. It's clean enough. You know, it's not like an extremely upscale part of town or anything, but it's also not, you know, an absolute tenement. There's all the things that you would expect to see in a, uh, an apartment building with, you know, more than like 20 tenants or something. It's got big K, big, big thing of letters on the wall, but there's also parts of the building they can't get into. Like it would actually make it a really good video game. It's got a real resident evil vibe to it. And I mean that in the very strictest sense of like exploring the mansion and the Arclay, I think it's the Arclay Mansion, uh, in, in Resident Evil 1, where, you know, like you, when it starts, it is just a place that you're in, and it's got all of the normal traipsings of a place that you would expect in that sort of situation. But as they get in, as people start dying, as they start running into people that have been infected for longer, people that are actually traips, tripping out all the way over past the line where they become violent, uh, you know, zombies and stuff, uh, the higher they get in the building, then you start seeing like more more destruction. Doors are damaged. 
there's bodily fluids or fluids in general on on places there's you know shredded this ripped that uh, people are getting more and more injured and it's just got that good building feel they even go back downstairs a few times and stuff uh but it, it that that's kind of inconsequential to the point i'm trying to make so fuck it but ultimately uh yeah, they finally get to the top floor, and when they finally get to the top floor, it's like you're like you 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 are you are never under the impression that this is was not a bad idea to come into this room, uh, because it is established from very early on in the uh, in in the story that the patient zero is probably the woman that lives at the very 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 top of the apartment building. And you know you you get it you get it in hints and and bits like oh that's the where the weird woman lives I've heard sounds she hasn't come out of that apartment in months I thought she moved away those kind of things and you see those for other rooms too but um yeah that, that it it's just it's really good in that respect and I think everybody should check it out I, I would say it's 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 a fairly like a must watch uh, especially if you've ever dabbled in the the found footage first person's perspective genre I'd, I'd say this is the best movie i've ever seen that's first person like that i really can't think of another one that's better offhand I, there might be one uh even though i would agree to that i just can't i can't really think of it right now but you should you should absolutely absolutely check it out um it's usually streaming somewhere it might be on shutter right now it might not um I think when I when I watched it with my fiance about seven or eight months back, we watched it on Vudu. So you know, hey, get out there, find it, and of course, uh, once you've watched it, come and hang out with us. Facebook.com/slash Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. Man, uh, everyone's in there. We're always talking. If you like talking about the show, uh, and you made it sixty minutes into this, uh, you know, you can come talk about the show there. You can talk about episodes. You can chat with people, and honestly, if you want to talk about stuff that uh, you're reading or watching that interests you, you can talk about anything horror or lit. So any book on the, under the sun, I don't care. If it's a book, talk about it. If it's uh, and if it's horror, talk about it. You can talk about video games like Dead Space and Resident Evil. You can talk about movies. You can talk about other podcasts you want, so long as they are horror. So pop on in. Again, that's facebook.com slash Westside Fairy Tales. Uh, on that note, if you want to send me a direct message because you fucking hate what I had to say, you don't like any of my opinions, or you agree, or you just want to clarify something, or you have a point to make, please reach out to me at Westside Fairy Tales at gmail.com. That's Westside Fairy Tales at gmail.com. I respond to everybody that writes me. I love it when people write me. Don't think you're going to be weird or bother me. I like talking to people. That's that's what I do. If you want to talk in a more open way or you just want to pop by and say hi or if you just want to spy on me, I have Instagram accounts. I have Twitter accounts. Westside Fairy Tales. Just search it. You'll be able to get there. Twitter at WS Fairy Tales. We're also on YouTube. We're going to be trying to make some videos there soon, but, you know, Maybe we'll get there. Maybe we won't. It's not a it's not a high priority compared to the rest of the podcast. But we have YouTube too. Uh, but most importantly, we do need your support because this is an independent podcast. If you made it this far into the podcast, please, 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 please consider giving me just a dollar on Patreon. Uh, for just a dollar, you can get early access to episodes like this and uh, more. <laughs> yeah, for five dollars, which is what we really consider the basic donation, we are going to send you monthly or PDFs of the monthly stories. You're going to get access to behind the story uh, information or behind the story episodes, where I give you information on uh, on how I kind of came to make up the the monthly story. And then for ten dollars, twenty dollars, fifty dollars, we got all kinds of stuff. We're going to send you merch, stickers, bookmarks, even posters and uh signed copies of the stories um depending on what you uh what you pledge so that's patreon.com slash westside fairy tales also if you want to support the show for with uh, just a one-time uh donation consider just going to our merch store and just buying some merch man uh if you you want to buy a t-shirt we've got great logo t-shirts we got a logo splash t-shirt says westside fairy tales over it with the big skull in the middle got hoodies 
You can buy the stickers and the bookmarks there. You can buy the poster there. I will write whatever you want on it and send it to you. Just hop on over there. That's just westsidefairytales.com slash merch. If you get a second, get on iTunes, hop on CastBox, pop on over to Spotify, hippity hip hip hop, and you don't stop until you get to Pandora or whatever. And send us a, and just, just, just lay out a nice review for us. Tell other people, hey, I like that because it'll help us rise in the search rankings and make it more easy to find the show. Tell your friends to subscribe. And I think, I think we're going to end it there. So until next time, as always, stay safe out there. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning Westside Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast due for release by Henlo Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.